0: This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by the Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program at the University of San Diego. Learn how this nationally ranked online program can help you be a force for change at sandiego.edu slash police one. You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, we all know that policing is hard work. When working in an urban environment, policing has traffic, business-related populations, all the homeless, mental illness-related, and other issues that come with city life. But backup is usually relatively close by. Other resources like fire and EMS are usually only a few minutes away as well. In the country or rural settings, things are very different. Your backup may be miles away, and we're talking country miles away. So too are the other resources. Even a quick trip to book a prisoner or process evidence may be an hour or more away. Is it more dangerous to be a cop in a rural setting? We're going to find out today from today's guest, Returning to Policing Matters to talk about her project in looking at law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty with an emphasis on incidents, specifically in rural settings. Kathleen Diaz writes features and news analysis on topics of concern to law enforcement professionals serving in rural and remote locations. She uses her background in writing, teaching and marketing to advocate for professional levels of training and equipment for rural officers open channels of communication for isolated departments and dispel myths about rural policing. In my words, after speaking with her and and communicating with her across uh, different uh, mediums, reading her articles, she is the champion of rural officers and deputies across America. And it's my pleasure to welcome you back, Kathleen Diaz. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Hey, am I right in calling you Kathleen? Uh, You may be known by a different name to some of our listeners.
1: I may be, um, and it's possible they haven't connected those two names yet. Um, I write a blog and keep a public Facebook page called the Rural Badge under the pen name of Charlie Pitt. Uh, Charlotte Pitt is a literary character that I identified with for a really long time. If you Google the name, you'll find out why. And uh, my husband was still active law enforcement when I first started the page and the blog. And he needed a firewall between his work and my online shenanigans. (laughs)
0: Well, I don't know if I'd call them shenanigans. I mean, I've read some really uh, compelling stuff from Charlie Pitt. And uh, I follow the Rural Badge on Facebook and Instagram. And you put out a lot of good materials in support of rural officers and deputies out there, you know, especially around training and equipment. And um, you've really brought to light uh, a lot of those um, disparities from, from Metro work.
1: That's really my goal all along has always been to, to make them seen, to make them heard. Um, To be honest, when um, one of the really large Facebook pages, um, humanizing the badge started, I hadn't started any of this stuff. And they kept saying, what do you want to hear more of? And I was pestering people to death. I'm not seeing anything that's not from cities here. There's all this stuff going on. I'm finding the news articles and I'm hearing it personally. Why aren't you telling those stories? And one of the admins just said, "Um, why don't you do it? So I did. And uh, it's kind of turned into Radio Free America for rural cops. You know, they know that they can tell me anything and I'm not going to out them if it's a problem. And um, I'll find a way to work it into something that needs to be said, whether it's just something they need to vent about or whether it's a leadership failure or um, and a lack of equipment or training uh, radios that don't work, whatever it is. I, I can do that. And they can't.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you brought to light another really concerning issue, and that is law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty in these rural areas, like I just talked about, you know, some of them are spaced far, far from other resources and backup. Um, Tell us about your article and your research. What prompted you to write about this issue?
1: Um, I started helping a friend track a database of officers shot, no matter where it happened. And it was just kind of a, The intent was to prove that this happens. And when you're looking at shootings as opposed to other sorts of assaults, uh, it's a lot harder to argue intent. If an officer gets run over, then maybe the bad guy overcorrected. But maybe he didn't mean to run the officer over. You can can argue that, at least in court. Uh, If someone points a firearm at you and pulls the trigger, the intent is generally pretty clear. That one's hard to be an oops. Um, So that's how that got started. They abandoned the project. um, And I started looking at when we were doing this, in addition to just the news articles that I'm looking at every day, a lot of these are happening in small towns. And these are not the things that are getting the press, partly because small towns don't have a large national media outlet, you don't have a New York Times, you don't have a Washington Post. And if it happens in Modoc County, California, no one even knows where that is, they're not going to cover it, it'll make the local papers and then it disappears. So, uh, about by 2019, I had figured out that nobody else was going to do this. And uh, so I said, Okay, I'm going to do it myself and I've started tracking every instance I can find of officers shot but then I chronicle it breaking out, according to population areas. And uh, it's actually been as alarming as it seemed to me. So I'm in my fourth year now collecting those kind of records.
0: Yeah. So are you cross-referencing? I mean, we have (laughs) Leoka data, we have uh, FBI.gov, you know, the UCR and things like that. What other databases um, have you found to be really reliable in, in producing some of this data, maybe not found elsewhere?
1: Uh, really reliable is hard I'm looking for stuff on a daily basis i 'm just doing a news search um, and then I cross reference it with um, the, the gun violence archive I think it 's called um, but it 's not super reliable because they don 't go back you, you try get a news story and then stuff changes as investigations come out, and they don 't go back and correct stuff so if it happened that that officer turned out to be a security guard or a canine or it was an accidental discharge, or uh, it turned out that the officer was injured but was not shot as reported, they don't go back and correct that stuff. So I use it mostly as a place just to look like look at and say, did I miss anything today? Right. Um, my numbers differ from Leoka because um, the federal sources separate federal officers mm-hmm. from state and local. And my point is not what kind of an officer it was, but where it happened. So I include all of them. So if it was a BIA agent or uh, an FBI agent or a deputy U.S. marshal, but it happened in the middle of nowhere, Montana, it's going on my record. And that's all going in there together. It's not about what kind of officer. It's about where does this happen? One of the hashtags I use all the time on the rural badges is, is Mayberry's a myth that was an imaginary place. And Sheriff Andy Taylor didn't exist. Um, And we can't use that nostalgic, wishful thinking in training or equipping or staffing modern police departments. And whether it's in the middle of nowhere or not, it's 2022. And that's what those officers are facing is 2022, not 1950 black and white television.
0: Yeah. Right. And I mean, you mentioned the border and and we know that the border patrol agents are, you know, go, coming under a constant barrage constant. of dealing with people down there. And of course, the only exposure they get is when they're on horseback trying to herd people back over the border. Yeah. When we know that they they come under a lot of, um, you know, assaults uh, on a daily basis there. So what jumped out at you when you did the research? Did, did, did you have an aha moment when you're looking at this?
1: Well, you know, you're not supposed to start research with an end in mind, um, but being human, it's almost impossible not to find a project interesting because something caught your interest to begin with. And I felt like this news articles that I was seeing on a constant basis when I'm looking specifically for small towns, like this is happening a lot. This is a lot of officers getting hurt. And then they just disappear from the headlines. Hmm. Um, and so when I got my first year's worth of data in in 2019, and I ran it and it came to about a quarter to a third of the officers nationwide who were getting shot were from the areas that I write about, um, I won't even record something as happening in a small town if it has more than 30,000 residents. And then I actually break it out again to less than eleven thousand residents, because some of those go down to populations in the single digits. I mean, place that is literally a post office on a, a state road, um, and uh, those are the officers that. That was the amount of officers that were getting hurt, and about a quarter of them were the fatalities for that year. And when I've seen research over the past year suggesting that about 5% of the departments in the United States employ something like 64% of the officers. That's those other few officers scattered over the whole US that are representing those casualties. And so one year is anecdote. So I came back to it the next year. And then this year I completed my third year and did that analysis this year for police one, for police week. And the numbers have held steady all three years, a quarter to a third of the officers that get shot are in the areas I write about. Um, But last year um, the fatalities were more like 47% coming from the places I write about. So officers working someplace that's 30,000 or less. And I tried to check maps when I look for a location because I don't want to mistake a suburb for an actual small town. You know, there's a, there's a difference. There's places that are incorporated and their population is only this much, but they're sharing a border with, you know, Birmingham or Detroit or or whatever. And I'm trying to avoid including those places. And it's not perfect because I'm making this up as I go along, <laughs> but. And are you
0: seeing any commonality in the factors that lead up to the incidents? Are they car stops? Are they investigating, you know, pot
1: farms? Anything
0: like that pop
1: up? The majority of them, just like urban officers, are traffic stops and domestics. Mm. It's you know people are people, no matter where they live. Uh, and you'll find incidents like that happening even in wilderness areas and national parks. Uh, people don't change into someone else because they go camping. If they're going to fight with a cop in the city, they're going to fight with a cop in the country. If they're going to beat their wife and kids in the city, they're going to do it in the country. Um, and uh, you do get a few more. Um, on things like, well, like illicit pot grows. There was an El Dorado County who was a deputy who was killed uh, answering a call at a pot grow there and a San Joaquin deputy uh, who was riding along with him who was shot in that incident as well. Um, And again, these are things that fall out of the headlines. The El Dorado County deputy died. Uh, The San Joaquin deputy was disabled permanently. His career was ended in Mm -hmm. that incident. And those things just disappear. You know, it's in a small town. It's in the middle of nowhere. And who tracks cops that don't come back to work one day? Nobody does.
0: Yeah, I've read about, you know, what you just mentioned about, you know, campsites and things, right? Domestic violence at campsites, people drinking too much and all of that, right? Perfect recipe. So you're tracking only sworn uh, armed officers, I, I imagine. Correct. And so the park rangers, unarmed park rangers don't fall into these categories?
1: Well, there's multiple kinds of park rangers. Um, the unarmed ones that you're thinking of are called an interpretive ranger. So he's the guy who does the wildlife presentation in the amphitheater and you know teaches the kids, You know, this is this kind of pine cone and this is that kind of pine cone. But there are law enforcement rangers who are sworn in armed and are federal officers. So um, there was one of those who was shot earlier this year in Rocky Mountain State Park. I'm sorry, last year. Um, and was a save by a vest. It was a pursuit, actually, that began outside the park, overflowed into the park. The law enforcement ranger happened across the guy, attempted a traffic stop, turned into a shootout. Um, and so that guy is sworn he is armed. He's a federal officer, just like a deputy U.S. marshal or a Forest Service law enforcement officer. Um, but they are different from the interpretive for, interpretive ranger. So.
0: Yeah. And have you shared your data with uh, any of their I don't know in 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 cities you have unions you've got the you know police officers uh, research forums and and uh, PBAs and things like that who who in the in the rural whether they be sheriff's associations have you been before the the national sheriff's association
1: I have not um, I, I've been publishing this uh, I've got three articles running three years in a row now in police one And every single one, I'm saying, I'm looking for somebody bigger than me to pay attention to this, Mm. because um, this is a seriously homemade project that I just started because I thought it was important. And it's just kind of grown from there. Um, So none of the bigger police representation agencies have contacted me. Um, The National Fraternal Order of Police tracks police ambushes. And I would love to get access to that so that I could add another field for that. Um, I don't have any way to know how many of the ambushes they talk about happen in the places that I write about. Uh, I did get word this week that researchers from uh, Johns Hopkins University's uh, School of Public Health are interested in talking about it. And uh, so I had an email from one of their uh, research associates earlier today, and I'm hoping to get an appointment to chat with them. I've sent them all of the spreadsheets and the articles that I've written. So they don't have to break down every single number for themselves just to get an idea where I'm going. And I'm waiting to hear back from them now, but that, that was super exciting.
0: Yeah, that's great. So yeah, we're talking about an epidemiology study, right? Where we go, we start out in the emergency room and go backwards. Uh, Before we, we went uh, on air, we talked a little bit about what happens when there's a shot fired, at somebody in a rural area? Do we track those kinds of events with the same fervor that we do when somebody's actually
1: hit? And unfortunately, the answer to that, as far as I can tell, is no. Um, To be able to get a really good idea of what, what the percentages of casualties are, you would want to look at the whole picture. How many times are officers having violent encounters? Whether they work in a national park or in the middle of a big city or in a small town. Uh, But I don't think anyone tracks the near misses. Uh, I think it would be a good thing, but I don't, I don't know right now where you'd get that information. Mm. Some of the departments that work in small towns or in rural counties, some of them are one man shops. Some of them are three to 10 people. Um, You know, when my husband was active, the largest department he worked for was 29 officers counting the sheriff, uh, down to being a one man shop at the end of his career. And uh, nobody is nobody's tracking that every time one of them has a gun pointed at them or somebody shoots at them, but nobody gets hurt. Those sorts of things don't get don't get recorded anywhere that I know about.
0: Well, we need to fix that for sure. Uh, But let's let's get into that in a moment after we hear from our sponsor. Do you want to be a better leader? Who doesn't, right? The University of San Diego has created an incredible online master's degree specifically for law enforcement professionals. The Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership program was developed by Law Enforcement for Law Enforcement and it's consistently ranked as one of the best online programs in the country. Whether you're preparing for promotion or simply want to be the best leader you can be, the MS LEPSOL program will help you be a force for change. Affordable, online and endorsed by law enforcement. Learn more at san diego edu slash police one and we're back and i'm speaking with kathleen diaz or charlie pitt author of the rural badge and more so kathleen how is it different in uh, a metro area to the rural areas um are we doing enough with technology to track officers um you know, in in urban areas, officers have been resistant or at least the, the uh, unions have been resistant resistant to GPS tracking of individual officers. Um, are we doing anything to protect these officers out in, in rural areas?
1: Not nearly enough. Um, and the fact is, one of the big problems that rural officers have, uh, not just out west, but that's one of the bigger places because the geography is so immense. Um, And the terrain is difficult, Uh, you know, in in the movies, somebody has a satellite phone and and you can talk to God on short notice. Uh, But in reality, if there's a tree or the wrong slope of a a mountain, while you're driving past, it'll block that signal. So even there is no fail-safe technology for that. Um, Cell phone coverage can be really spotty. Um, Reliable radio coverage is a huge issue. Um, I don't know exactly all of the problems, but I know I've talked to officers at least as far east as Oklahoma that have had problems with unreliable radios, um, especially as they were making the changes the past few years to narrow banding. Uh, There were a lot of agencies that were getting left out and left behind, having problems accessing grants to change everything and then one of the problems just like you know when you tune the radio in your car back when it was analog you might get a garbage signal but you were still getting a signal or you could run some skip at night and things like that uh the digital frequencies don't allow that you either have good or you have none and in a rural area that can be a really big problem you know there and there may not be um cell towers there may not be repeaters that sort of thing. I have had a few officers tell me um, that their agencies are using GPS trackers either that attach to them personally, like, like an emergency beacon, like the, the dry land version of an EPIRB, or um, in their cars, uh, but not many, just a few. And yeah. uh, once, you know, that old saying about You know, you may know where you are and God may know where you are, but if dispatch doesn't know where you are, you'd better be on good speaking terms with God. There's, there's a lot of places. And again, a a lot of places, especially out West where, where the geography is, is really big, um, where it can be hard to keep track of your officers and it can be even harder to get to them if something bad happens.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Definitely technology is not a great resource in these areas. And so I know you've written about it before that the rural officer may be the best at dealing with de-escalation because they have to.
1: They have to. Yeah. It's a, and I I've talked about that before that community policing isn't really a thing in rural areas because um, with some exceptions where there are large commutes um, or where the, it's a park, so you're not living inside the boundaries. In a lot of small towns, the officer simply is the community, and especially if they're living someplace that uh, doesn't have a reasonable commute or that's too far to commute, and that does happen, uh, your kid may be going to school with every the kids of everybody you've ever arrested. They will all know exactly where you live because it's that small a town. Um, The last town we lived in uh, had, I think, two banks, a credit union, one grocery store, one drug store, and three hardware stores. That was it. You're going to be standing in line with somebody at some point or at a school awards ceremony or something like that. So you need to be able to talk to people differently uh, when you are coaching their kids in Little League. You know, um, and honestly, once you've established those sorts of relationships, um, you know, you know, even in the cities, somebody is not the same when they're impaired as they are when they're sober. And I've talked to multiple officers, including my own, who have had guys they arrested for drunk in public the week before, offered to back them up in a fight a week later because they treated them respectfully. You know, and it's like, yeah, he hooked me, but it was fair. I deserved it. I needed that. I know, you know, uh, you might have them coming and knocking on the door. Well, I need to talk to him because my neighbor is being a jerk and I want to know how much trouble I'm going to get in. If I get in a fight with him. let's not do that. Let's not do that. But they knew where you lived and they came to ask, you know, it happens.
0: Yeah. And you bring up a, a great point. I was going to ask you about, um, you know, what, how do we convey this situation to these communities in which these rural officers serve? I mean, how do we let them know that, hey, you know, there's a signal, or if you see some, you know, one of your cops dealing with somebody who's pushing back or, you know, aggressively resisting, what's the message to communities? Do we, do we have any sheriffs out there that are really good in conveying that to their community?
1: I don't know that there's anything formal done. I think a lot of it is just a matter of having established those relationships along the way. Um, I have had, um, it suggested that things like uh, Stop the Bleed programs should be taught more in rural areas, no matter how remote. And even if you're only teaching a couple of people at a time, because from what I see and the stuff I'm documenting, the postman or a trucker or a rancher or a field over is as likely to be the first one on scene if an officer gets hurt as an ambulance or backup mm-hmm. and so if you can just get it across that now we're all in the same boat here we're here for you um and this is just what we do when somebody needs help i think that seems to work best and it just it just does seem to be a part of the process, there's a police chief uh, in Oregon I've, I've talked to a couple of times who was just fantastic at establishing relationships in his community. And, and he flat-told me there's multiple times his officers have made arrests without anyone getting hurt because he knew their mom or their grandma or their girlfriend. And, and they would call and say, he's here. I know he's got warrants. I don't want anybody getting hurt. Help me work this out. And he's able to do that because they've already established that relationship with the relatives and the friends, and they're just part of the community and, and they see you as people.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you bring to mind um, Chief Roger Shai from uh, Pocatello, Idaho, who lives in a smaller community, but he's got such a great um, leadership quality and dealing with the community, bringing in the local university players to work out with his officers and awesome. and uh yeah that's awesome. I would love to to see something put together uh for these rural areas where like like the chief that you know in Oregon too um put their heads together to to get the the word out at these community meetings um that you know the community can help in policing their own uh, areas. So what other kind of supports needed to to help rural officers out, uh, reduce the number of shootings? Um, You know, there's a huge gun issue uh, going on across America, and there there always is after a shooting. And unfortunately, we just had another shooting at a school. Um, They're not going away. Uh, I guess what I'm asking is how can... um, responsible community people help their local officer um, in situations where there there may be an armed encounter?
1: I think it's got to start before the armed encounter. And this is going to be one of those statements that probably won't make everybody happy. Um, Usually I put stuff like this off on Charlie, but small communities in rural America can be very, very good at making a big show about quote unquote backing the blue. Mm. But they don't put them, that into action with their budgets and with practical support. And if an officer is working in a department that's so understaffed that he hasn't had a day off in 30 days straight, and I've talked to officers that have experienced that, because a lot of departments that I write about are small enough, they're actually exempt from FLSA. Mm. And if they're in a place where at will employment is also the law, they have no recourse other than quitting. Uh, and that's, that's not how you back your officers. If their vests are expired, if they can't get to training, um, if training is really qualifying once a year, um, you're not preparing your officers. You're just asking them to do your dirty work on the cheap. Yeah. And, uh, and I see that a lot. And it's, that's for people like me to say, because the officers can't say that it's kind of harsh to say you say you love your officers, but you're not giving them what they need. Um, They need backup, they need information, they need working technology, they need protective equipment, they need modern levels of training. And we're going to see more and more of that um, coming up uh, with the new executive order that just came out. Uh, There are a lot of requirements that are going to be placed on grant applications, uh, places where agencies are going to have to prove that they're in compliance with modern training standards. And and I'm not talking about anything controversial. I mean, they're going to have to be able to say, uh, we're up to date on our firearms training, we're up to date on our perishable skills, pursuits, use of force, uh, weaponless defense. Um, And I talk to a lot of officers that don't really get any training after the academy um, and after the pandemic got started it made it very very easy to cover that up with online training mm-hmm. where somebody in their spare time or even you know in their car while they're between calls on a slow night could watch a video and click through something and get credit for training and that's not the same as sending them off to attack med course or sending them off to a negotiations course or and you see where I'm
0: going with that. Yeah, for sure. And and I saw your article uh, about, um, you know, to President Biden uh, saying, hey, your executive order, make sure you don't leave out rural officers in these points. And I hope to attach that article to the show notes here for mm-hmm. our listeners to, to take a look at. Um, great work. Uh, you're always supporting the rural officer and the officer in these remote areas and uh, where where can our listeners read what you're writing?
1: They can find my column on Police One, policing the remote and rural, or the rural and remote. That's terrible. I should know that. And uh, they can also find my blog at the dot com, and uh, the public Facebook page is under the same name. Uh, I don't write long pieces there. It's it's not the the medium for it. But that's that's where they can find them.
0: Great always something good. Hey, thanks for jumping on the show again. Appreciate it. Uh, Kathleen Diaz or Charlie Pitt, author of The Rural Badge and more. uh, Hope to talk to you again real soon.
1: I appreciate it. I thank you so much for the invitation.
0: All right. To our listeners, take a look at Charlie Pitt's writings, Kathleen Diaz and Police One, and uh, you will not be disappointed. And you know, we're hearing about officers in these areas that are often neglected when we talk about big city budgets and big city issues, but they are extremely important. And, um, Hope the politicians are listening as well. All right. Well, drop me a note at policing matters at policeone.com. PolicingMatters at police one.com. If you'd like to let me know uh, what you think about the show, who you'd like to hear from, what you'd like to hear about. I appreciate your comments and your notes. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there and hope to talk to you again real soon. I'm Jim Dudley. Take good care.